The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in His precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing, Heaven's my important message that you ever hear in your lifetime from anyone. I hope that the Holy Spirit takes this and uses it like he did. The last time I dealt with this passage and this topic was in 1993, 22 years ago. I have preached in other places of the Bible and try, and there's the other places of the Bible deal with the same subject. How this started is I called my uncle Stan. He was a uh, one of the chosen few in Korea, and lived through that horrible thing. And uh, he's been a good uncle to me. He got saved uh, a little later in life. He and his uh, sweet wife, her name's Mouse, because when she was born, she fit in the palm of her mother's hand. They had no incubators or whatever they had. No no special hoopla. And she lived. And when she cried at two and a half ounces, or two and a half pounds, not two and a half ounces. She was about that big. No, <clears throat> she was a little bit bigger than that. Two and a half pounds, she sounded like a little mouse squeaking. And so they nicknamed her Mouse. She did live. Now she's 83, four years old and has lived a long life. <clears throat> but she's been a godly example to me of real Godly example, a woman who loved Jesus, been through hard times. Her one son killed himself. <clears throat> and maybe, maybe one of the harder things in life that people face is that kind of thing. But she's adjusted well and trusted God. And uh, never lost her joy of the Lord. That's her strength. And she's trusting in Him a whole way. But I was talking to my Uncle Stan, I call him the Marine. And uh, he always, you know, we're always hooping it up back and forth and my dad, who exercised his whole life, every day of his life that I ever knew him, he exercised, he jumped rope, he, he jogged a little bit, he did push-ups and sit-ups every day. He died in great shape. <laughs> My Uncle Stan, who was always a little overweight, never was, always, always flabby, never really could get hard body, you know, and everything. My father... He married my dad's sister, and so they, he, my dad would razz him continually about being chubby and being a little heavy and being a little soft and everything else. 
And my dad would say, if you keep, don't lose that weight, you're going to die. You're going to die. Well, my dad died at 80 and stands alive. He's 84. <laughs> so Stan always reminds me that uh, I bet your dad rolled over in his grave. He knew I made it to 84. <laughs> and I said, you know, he would. If we dug him up, he's face down right now. Because <laughs> you just can't predict it. I wish you could, but you can't predict it. Uh, but my Uncle Stan told me something that jogged me. It stopped me. He said, Bill, I want to tell you this. He said, I've been in church since I got saved a young man in the 20s. He said, I've been to all kinds of churches, heard all kinds of preaching my whole life. I'm 84 years old. He said, you preached a sermon. I don't know when, but he, when I, I, somehow I, I got to hear it. And he said, I've, that's been the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. It's been the most impactive on my life. I went back and dug that thing up. Here it is. Preached last in 19, 1993. <clears throat> and the title of it is, back then it was the same, Consider the End. Consider the End. The text is found in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 7. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. Just one verse... And really one nail, one thought. Today I want to talk about a thought that can change your direction. It can save you from a horrible fate. It can help you to stay focused every day of your life. If you will just simply get the idea, the thought, which is a Bible idea, a Bible statement found here in the 7th verse of the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. At the very end of the book, a fabulous book that exalts Jesus. Jesus uh, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the old covenant, better than the old priesthood, better than the sacrificial system. Christ is just better than. And at the end of that, he makes a statement in verse 7. He says, remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And here's the statement I want you to think about. Considering the end of their conversation. Considering the end of the conversation. The word in uh, the, the Greek word translated by the English word conversation means way of life. Conversation, a way of life. Considering... That is a continual process, by the way, the end of their conversation. Now, the word remember at the beginning of that verse, I, be, I believe, has to do with looking back on their biography. It's been said that the biographies are the only real history. Biographies are the only real history. I believe that you and I would be <clears throat> served well and not only going back and looking at our lives, and often going back and reflecting on how we got born into the family of God, and how we were lost and undone without hope in the world, without God, without hope in the world, and how God came by and saved us. It'll keep you with an attitude of gratitude. And boy, we need to stay there, amen? We need to park with gratitude. And not get critical and get mean-spirited or somehow feel we're above other people when we realize 
It was simply by the grace of God that we did not get cast into the lake of fire at the end of the whole thing. So, the word remember has to do with go back. Go back. I know Paul said forgetting those things which are behind. He was talking about the things that hindered, the sins that were forgiven. But once in a while, we need to go back and, and, and see where we came from. That our, our, we were, we, our foot had almost slipped. But he took us and set us upon a solid rock, established our going, goings, put a new song in our mouth. It's been said it's not how you start that counts, it's how you end. That may be said for UK. <laughs> Had that three-pointer been sunk, it wouldn't have made any difference what their season was because they weren't national champions, and that's what everybody's going for. It's not how you start. It's how you end. You can start. Haven't you seen some people who start out, ooh-wee, that's the ideal person. That's the ideal couple. That's the ideal church. That's the ideal business. That's the ideal this. And then, boom, 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 and they're shot, down, gone. They stumble, they fail. I like history because I believe the Bible talks about going back and looking. The Bible's full of history. And it, it's not there because we don't need it according to the New Testament. We're supposed to go back and look at that all the way back to Genesis and Adam and Eve and the mistakes they began to make and all the mistakes of all those other people that they made all the way through, all the way up through the disciples in the New Testament church, all the way up through the book of Revelation. And we're to learn from those mistakes that they made so that you don't have to make the mistakes. I always say there's two kind of people. There's a person that learns by listening and there's a person that learns by living. <clears throat> I want to learn by listening. I've learned a long time. I've learned in a little bit I didn't listen and had to learn by living. Woo, doggies, that's me. Woo. I don't want to have to make the mistakes that others have made. I want to learn from that. That's what reading the Bible is all about. You learn from the mistakes that others have made in a large portion. And so we don't make them. I'm thinking back in history about in the 1700s when Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon preached it in a monotonal voice, no, no bombastic uh, pitch-punch pause in progress with that. Called sinners in the hands of an angry God, and God through that sent revival fires to America where a man named David Brainerd and others came and witnessed, and there was a fire set in the, in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, and missionary work began to happen. And by the way, wherever the gospel goes, it brings, it brings morality and order and a better living standards for all. We here in America are enjoying probably the finest, materially finest, greatest, finest, biggest, baddest, blessed place in the whole planet because our forefathers honored the God of the Bible. That's why. It wasn't that they had special gifts or special abilities. It was that God has spared this land and has spoiled it with rivers and had given it its rain in its due season and had put coal everywhere you looked and put oil everywhere you looked and put gold and had, had us buy Alaska, which some felt was a bad deal. <laughs> 
until they found it was full of oil and full of gold. And on and on that God has blessed us and blessed us because we, as a people, overall, in our very foundations, we put his name on our money. We put his name on our constitution. We put his name all over our documents. And we honored him in our schools. We honored him in our, in our, in our houses with prayer. And every, every uh, government body that met together would open with a word of prayer in Jesus' name. I think of the man William Carey, born in 1761, died 1834. How many here have heard of William Carey? Raise your hand. William Carey. Amen. He's been gone a long time. He was an Englishman, a shoemaker, a cobbler, called the father of modern missions. His famous statement is, or was, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. I love that. Good statement. He had a sign over his little shop in England said, Cobbler, secondhand shoes. Now, who would think that God would do anything through a cobbler in England, uneducated? You say, strike against him, strike against him, three strikes, you're out, you're shot. Now, God's not going to do anything. But he had a burden for the lost, not just in England, but he had a burden for the lost in the world that we're not getting the gospel. He got the gospel, and he was grateful. And he had a, and, and in, in, his, in his spare time, listen to this, in his spare time he studied Greek, Latin, and French. They called him the consecrated cobbler, and it, wasn't, it was not a compliment. The men of his town would talk and debate current events while he thought about the lost in different places of the world without Christ. They would often say, William, there's enough to do right here. You don't have to be sending any money over there. How many have heard that, even to this day? They would say to him, if the Lord wants those folks converted over there, he's got the ability to convert them. That's not my problem or yours. They had no love, no obedience to the, to the call to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But he preached. He never let that stop him. And he kept hammering and hammering missions. And he started a mission society. Now, I don't know why people in the 17 and 1800s named things the way they did. But here was the name of the mission society that he started. Particular Baptist Society for Propagating the Gospel Among the Heathen. I think you could shorten that down. He finally got... Felt it was time that he himself had to go, not just encourage other people to go. And he and he got his wife together and boarded a ship called the Oxford. When the captain of the Oxford found out he was going to be a missionary going to India, he, they, they threw him off. They threw him off because they said, we're not taking any missionary. The word was, don't take missionaries out of England. Don't do it. It was The spirit was against, against mission work at the time. But he didn't give up on that. He was discouraged, but he was not beaten. He boarded another ship and watched the shore of England shrink away for the last time in his life. Now get this. Five months on that ship, and they finally reached the Bay of Bengal. Five months. What did he find when he reached India? Here's what he found. When Kerry came ashore in India, they had what they call a sati, S-U-T-T-E-E. -E. 
That's where they burned women when their husband died. Ladies, I bet you'd be looking at your husband's health a little differently, knowing that if he died, they were going to take you and burn you so you didn't live, or, and bury you with him. That was what they called the suttee. Uh, marriage went, when a marriage went bad, the women would be turned into temple prostitutes or just starved to death. Where women were only created to have sons. Where babies were cast to the crocodiles or left hanging in baskets to be eaten by the ants. Where superstition, squalor, oppression, ignorance prevailed. Over nine-tenths of the population, why the tenth of the population lived in some fairy tale-like castles and extreme wealth. He faced, William Carey faced unbelievable obstacles, languages, terrain, disease, tradition, fear, violence, and personal poverty. He preached for seven years without a single convert. Now, folks, you got to let that soak in a little bit. You and I go out door to door. If I hear people start with me going door to door, and if they go out a couple weeks and nobody wants to talk to them, they're like, well, I guess nobody cares about hearing the gospel. You're never going to do anything for God if the devil can discourage you that easily. Man, as a Christian, you can't go based on results. You go based on obedience. Jesus said, go. That means go. Nobody gets saved. That's his problem, not mine. We're going to get together, spend $1,500, have, have 30, 40, 50 people involved in the work of setting up to preach on the beach on Easter, and we're doing that for one reason, because Jesus said, go. If nobody comes forward and lets us know they got saved or had even, even didn't even like the thing, we still do it. Bustles we do year in, year out, year in, year out, door to door, whatever, because of people like this. Why do I keep excited? Why do I keep fired up? Because I remember the people that have been before me. I remember the sacrifice that they've had. Seven years, no convert. Finally get a convert. He ran out of money. Took a job working in an indigo factory. His child died. Man, today we get missionaries on the field. Their kid gets sick. Boom, they're back over here in the United States. Give up on them folks. That will not reach the world for Christ. Child died on a fever. His wife, William Carey's wife, was sickly. She was sickly from the day they left England to the... Finally, she died. A burden to him in his work rather than a help. His supporters, he had a few supporters eventually sent letters to him and say, you know, it's, it, we, we have re, we're coming across real hard times in England, and we're going to have to quit your support. Even when a fool, a fool might have known that the battle was lost, William Carey fought on. And he completed a translation of the New Testament, by the way, which still today is a standard of prose and arrangement. Eventually, some help from England came. Two couples came over, two families from England came. One was a printer, which was fabulous, and one was an educator. 
The educators started edu- girls. I want you to listen to this. They started educating girls because up to that time, girls got no education. They didn't need it. I want you to notice in in history that where Christianity comes, women are lifted up and exalted. Wherever false religion is, women are suppressed and made like cattle. I can't believe anybody converts to Islam. I can't imagine anybody, any woman with a sound mind would say Islam would be an option. If I just looked at the way they treated their women, I'd say, and I'm a man. I'll tell you, that guy, that German guy was a a Muslim, and he crashed that plane into that mountain. He did not get 70 virgins when he woke up. I'm over. Kerry translated the whole Old Testament, the New Testament, and the various Indian languages. He opened the Bible up to some 300 million people by doing that. He translated it into over 40 dialects. There are 800 dialects in India. He started a college to train nationals to preach. He taught the farmers to crop their land and to, and to rotate their crops and to help them in, in, their, in the natural way they live. By the way, the, 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 um, the tradition of sati, he abol- got abolished. Through him and others, that burning your wife when you died was stopped. That was, that was good, I would think. Infant sacrifice was abolished, and he started a leper's hospital. He didn't let his neighbors ridicule in England when they called him the tub preacher, and they called him, they uh, uh, joked about him studying Greek and studying uh, uh, French and other languages as, as a cobbler and what are you doing? God can't do it. You know what? William Carey just believed that there was a God and he could do something if he had a person who was willing to go. And God moved on Carey, William Carey's heart and he said, I'll go. And he went. With, a few, with fewer gifts than most, with fewer abilities than most, that's why I believe that old Southern Durden guy that was up here that, 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 that said that that don't G-haul. I figure, man, he may be one of the greatest missionaries we've ever supported. If I'm going to vote on his abilities, I'm going, I can figure him speaking Japanese going, G-haul. I called old Don Sis. I told you this already. Don Sis says, I was an old hillbilly from Kentucky and God used me. He can use that old boy from South Carolina. That's because God can use anybody. Amen. Uh, he made it through his, through his neighbor's ridicule and jokes. He didn't let his wife's lack of enthusiasm and sickliness stop him. He didn't let economic poverty stop him. He didn't let social differences, which were huge, stop him. He didn't let the death of his daughter stop him on the field. He didn't let the desertion of his supporters in England stop him. He didn't let the arduous and lonely life in India stop him. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Whose faith follow, considering the end, the end, consider the end. 
Do you remember, by the way, the people? Do you remember the names of the people who mocked William Carey? I don't remember. Do you? Do you remember the naysayers who said William Carey wouldn't make it and it couldn't happen? I don't remember those names. Do you? You never will remember them because people like that don't do anything for God. You want to be an Abraham? You have to obey God when he says move. Oh, that's good. You know, for years after I first began to read the Bible, young Christian, 18, 19, 20 years old, I started seeing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I started seeing Elijah and Elisha, and I started knowing a little bit about them. And I said, you know what I started praying? People say, I don't know what to pray. Read the Bible. I started saying, Lord, I like Abraham. You liked Abraham pretty good too, didn't you? He ended well, didn't he, Lord? Would you let me be like Abraham? That'd be like a kid, your kid coming up to you and say, Can I clean my room today, Mom? I'd be like the boy coming up saying, You think I'm able to, you think I'd be, can I take the trash out for the rest of my life while I live here under your roof and eat your food? Be like a daughter coming up to mom and says, can I clean the whole house every week because I just love you? What parent's going to say, no, you get out of here, don't you do that. When you go before, when you go before God with prayers like, I want to be like Abraham, he goes, whoa, we got somebody who wants to be like Abraham. But if you want to be like Abraham, you've got to be willing to obey the voice of God when he says go. Not argue with him. Not give him a hard time. Not, not sit there and say, no, it's got to be real. It's got to be something you know is the voice of God. Yes. God says to study your, to show thyself approved. Well, then you ought to do it. Amen. If God says it, that's good enough for me. You want to be an Abraham, you've got to be willing to obey God. Don't know where you're going. You want to be an Enoch? you got to walk with God. It's got to be a daily basis. It's got to be every day. Get up, walk with God. You want, I want to be an Enoch. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. And God took him, for he was not. That means he didn't have to die. I'd like to skip death myself. I've seen death. I've seen it. I'd like to skip it. Glory to God. I may get to. You want to be a Noah? I definitely do not want to get drunk. He hurt himself. But Noah ended well, didn't he? Saved the whole world because he believed God and began to build an ark. It hadn't never even rained yet. He had a boat and had no place to go. You want to be a Sarah, girls? Oh, this is good. You want to be a Sarah? You know what I'm going to say. You want to be a Sarah, princess? then you're going to obey your husband even when he jeopardizes your life. Oh, oh, that's big. I have women come into my office and say, my husband's not doing our finances right, and I think I'll intervene. I said, just take your hands off the roller coaster and scream on the way down. Because <laughs> if you try to grab a hold of that, it, it's going to destroy your marriage. Don't demasculinize your men. And that's where it's coming for. You want to be a Sarah? She honored her husband to the jeopardy of her life. 
twice. I told Kathy, would you? She said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be tested there because I don't think I'd go for it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He'll not tempt you above that which you are able. Amen. All right, I'll go for it. You want to be a Joseph? You got to be willing to be deserted, betrayed, a fugitive, a criminal, in jail, forgotten. Well, there's no more place to be forgotten in jail for 13 years. And the whole time, trust God that it's somehow God's using this. Somehow, didn't know how, but he, he knew. He never got bitter. You want to be Moses? You have to walk in the wilderness. That's a desert place, a dry place, a hard place for 40 years twice. He murdered the Egyptian and had to go 40 years. He, went, he was called back at the burning bush to go get children of Israel. Got them. They sent to Kadesh Barnea. And God put him back in. He put old Moses back in the wilderness another 40 years. Now, most of us are going, wait a minute. I wanted to move out of Michigan a long time ago. Take your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Verse 12 through 17. Psalm 73, verse 12 through, or, uh, yeah, verse 12 to 17. But this is David. David, he's, he's frustrated. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world that increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and who wash my hands in innocency. For all the days long, all day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. So that's some of you that like to describe your life, amen. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. In other words, he looked at the unsaved, if you want to study this further later. He looked at the unsaved, and a lot of times they were prospering, things were going good, their children were healthy, the business was up, you know, stocks were up, everywhere they touched was a Midas touch, it was gold, and just everything went well for them. And they didn't honor God, they didn't go to church, they didn't believe the Bible, they rejected Christ, they rejected, let's put it in our time, they rejected all the things that God, and yet we believe God, and we believe the Bible, and things were rough, and our children were sick, and we lost children in death, our, our parents died of this, and this happened, and economic, everything we invested in went to nothing. On and on and on, you can say that to fill that in there. But I want you to notice in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I there, let's say it together, and... That's what this whole message is about. It's not about the beginning. It's about the end. William Carey, if you'd look at his life, you'd say, Woo, I don't want any of that, but I'm going to guarantee you, you, will, you would want his end. That hundreds of millions of Indians are in heaven today because they got the Bible in their dialect, and that was directly responsible to William Carey, who was willing to undergo unbelievable resistance because he just felt God was in it, and he was already dead, and you can't hurt a dead man. He remembered their end. He understood their end. It gave him comfort. Look. The most, the most prosperous person without Christ is facing to, he's going to have to someday stand before the great white throne and answer for his own sin and someday be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, and be there forever and ever and ever. That's Jesus' teachings. 
I don't care if he had a 70, 80 year period of prosperity here on earth and everything went great. Compared to eternity, that's nothing, right? Nothing. Folks, it's how you end that counts. End well. End well. Psalm 37, 37. David says, Mark the perfect man. That's the complete man, the saved man, really. And behold, the upright, for the end of that man is peace. In 37, 38 of Psalms, it says, The transgressors shall be destroyed. Together the end of the wicked shall be cut off. Romans chapter 6, verse 21 says, What fruit had they had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Why, don't, why do you want to be separate from the world? Why do you want to quit the junk of the world? Why do you want to quit the sensualities and the things in the world that are condemned in the Bible? Because the end of those things are death. You don't believe that? Ask Jimi Hendrix how it was. Ask, I'm, I'm, I'm age specific with you old folks. Ask Jim Morrison how it is. Ask Freddie Prince. Boy, that's a big one. That's going back, isn't it? He killed himself. Howard Hughes, Rock Hudson, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, Judy Garland. They've been doing a special on Judy Garland lately. And as I watch her biography, I'm sad about it. My heart's broken as I watch that woman. Because it's not how you start. It's how you end. Will you end obeying God? Will you end doing right? Will you end serving Jesus? Will he be able to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Or will he say, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels? Will that be what you hear? It's up to you. The choice is yours. God, with His sovereign power of all the universe, protects your free will. This morning, as much as I want to see you saved, I can't force you to be saved. As much as I would love to see you choose Jesus in your life, not just by salvation, but by living, but by serving Him and putting Him first every day, I can't get in your head and make it happen. You have to do it. James chapter 5, verse 11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end, there it is, the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercies. I've seen some of my old high school classmates. I never went back to a reunion. Never did. Because I wouldn't have recognized anybody anyway. I figure if I went now, it'd just be a bunch of old people out of shape, no hair, gray hair, wrinkles everywhere, and I'd have to go around asking, who are you? Oh, that, 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 that person's you? You know, you go around wearing pictures of their high school picture. They're going, no way. Well, you must have gained... Take your Bibles, and I'll quit with this. 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 2. 2 Peter, chapter 2. Where is it? It's back towards the end. 
verse 20, 21. A, a, a warning. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. Look at these words. The latter end, end, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It's God's word. Forever settled in heaven for all eternity. You've been in church. You've heard the word of God. You've sat maybe for years. You're wondering. You're fumbling. You're messing around. You need to, you need to shake yourself and get busy. Shake yourself and say, I want to end well for God. You're not going to end well if you don't determine today. By the grace of God, I want to end well. By the grace of God tomorrow, I want to end well. The grace of God the next day, I want to end well. The grace of God the next day, I want to end well. Life is just a daily thing. We only have today. We don't have tomorrow. We don't have the future. We only have today. We're, we're, by the way, I preach a sermon called God is a God of the present. He's not a God of the past, a God of the future. He's really always present. I am the I am in the burning bush. He is a God of existence. And that's where we're at today. And we don't have tomorrow, we, but we can say today, by the grace of God, today I'm going to do His will. I'm going to be like Abraham. By the grace of God, today I'm going to be like Elijah. I'm going to be bold to speak the Word of God. By the grace of God, today I'm going to be like David and have a heart towards God and be tender towards God. By the grace of God, I'm going to be like Paul, who was willing to be humbled, take ridicule, be beaten. By the grace of God. I want to be like William Carey, David Brainerd, Adoniram Judson, Gypsy Smith, D.L. Moody, Jack Hiles, Harry McKinney. By the grace of God, I want to end well. Father, help us and help us today. Help us to end well. May this message impact as the Holy Spirit sees fit. The devil tries to keep us so busy, we forget that our life's passing. Like a clock, it's ticking with only so many seconds preset by God. None of us in this room know how close we are to the end of that most of the time. Some of us know we're getting towards the end, because some of these folks up in their 70s and 80s, they know they're getting to the end. But Father... Help us not to wait till we're 70 before we start getting serious about living for God because some of us ain't going to make it 70. Help us start at 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8. Help us start at 18, 19, 20, 21, 25. Let's start in our 20s. Say we're going to live for Jesus. If all my generation dies and goes to hell, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Father, we pray that you'd help someone in this room to say yes to Jesus Christ and his shed blood which has been given to them in tender, loving care. May they start a new life in Christ today. May it be a brand new life of lifting, of light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the praise belongs to Him.